That's the name of LeBron's podcast, right? Loose Talk with Rebr- it LeBron. It should be. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is March 31st, 2020. I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor here at 538. Joining me is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hello, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. Um, on the line from Los Angeles is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hey, Sarah. You guys, can you believe that we made it to the end of March? Can you believe that Whoa. this month started with just a normal podcast and then our live show at the Sloan Sports Conference? That was all this month. Wow. Uh, so I wanted to check in real quick on our uh, the 538 simulated NCAA tournaments. We're down to the final four. Neil, your chalky, chalky picks <laughs> of the Kansas men and Oregon women are still alive. Can, can wow. we just stop? Can we stop right here? I refuse to give Neil any credit for this. <laughs> for picking <laughs> the favorites in a computer simulation. <laughs> I mean, if you're trying to win, those are the right picks, right? Right. It's, win it's all what? About winning. He's worked on some of these simulations. I. This is. <laughs> are you <laughs> saying I, I pulled the strings in the background? No, I'm just saying you deserve very. Like normally, picking the favorite and being right on the favorite gets very little credit from me. In this case, in a hypothetical computer simulation where there's no variables and randomness. I mean, I guess there are variables and randomness, there are but randomness. not the we same. We literally rolled a 100-sided die to figure out who won each of these games. It's oh, all random. Oh, fine. It's not, it's not completely random, but okay. I fine. just don't want to congratulate you. <laughs> so those are Neil's picks, um, and those are so far correct. Jeff, how are how are your picks going? Kentucky was eliminated, so yes, I you know I took a shot there on the computer yeah. simulation and lost. <laughs> um. You took a shot on John Calipari. That was, um, yeah, really, really a great shot. Maryland in the final four, though. Yeah, you that do was a good still call, have. Jeff. You do still have Maryland. Both Marylands. What a year! <laughs> so the five thirty eight final four for the women is South Carolina versus Maryland and Baylor versus Oregon for the men. Kansas versus Maryland, South Dakota. Oh no, I said South, South Dakota, Dakota State. State. See, South this Dakota is, State. This what is, is this Carson Wentz is playing in the <laughs> tournament? Carson Wentz did not go to South Dakota State. Are you kidding me? Or did he, he go to North Dakota State? Yes. Yes, that's terrible. That's uh, just the Dakotas. No, this is actually my secret thing. Every time I see SDSU, I think South Dakota State and not San Diego State. And I have to like slow down and stop myself every time. And I did not there. San Diego State, not the very proud Jackrabbits of South Dakota State, will be facing Michigan State in the other, in the other matchup. Uh, so J- Jeff, do you want a new, a new pick of these four left? I don't want a new Kentucky? pick. I don't want a new pick. We allow redrafts here. <laughs> I'm I'm not participating. I think it's very fun. I was excited to see the results come up. But um fine, I'll take I don't know. I'll take Michigan State so I can nice. be wrong. By the way, if Michigan State wins, that'll support Neil's uh very much uh despised by you theory that the preseason top 25 is the best predictor of the final four. Michigan State oh, yeah, preseason right. number one. Wait, so. isn't I mean, doesn't that probably go into this? I would assume if that's what our oh yeah I no don't know. our like, model odds definitely take into account the yeah okay. <laughs> this is so, 
On today's show, we'll look at the options that the NBA is exploring to restart at least some league play. Then we'll talk about the NCAA's decision to extend eligibility to some student-athletes. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. The NBA was the first league to suspend play because of the coronavirus. 20 days later, the NBA is exploring how it could start up again without needing to fill arenas full of people. But what form that reopening takes is really up in the air. People have floated the idea of playing all the games in a central location, like Las Vegas or the Bahamas, perhaps taking over a college campus and sequestering all the players, staff, and broadcast crew. LeBron James notably is on the record as saying he wouldn't go for playing sequestered games. But Brian Winhurst had this to say about it on ESPN's Get Up. Well, this is where LeBron's voice matters so much because LeBron has said he doesn't want to play in front, not outside the presence of fans, and he doesn't want to go to a sequestered situation. Does LeBron want to play to try to win a title this year? That's the bottom line. And yes, it's, it's about money, but it's also about those teams at the top trying to play for that title. And um, there's going to have to be some negotiation, Greeny, here between the owners and the players. What do you guys think? Neil, will the players go for a sequestered finish to the NBA season? I mean, it sounds like, like you mentioned, LeBron is not too keen on it. And I think that's sort of the the gut feeling that a lot of the players will have. But at the same time, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure economically and, and, you know, from a bunch of different directions to at least finish the season in some capacity or another. Now, maybe it won't be the regular season, maybe... um, they, they've bandied about the idea of sort of a play-in tournament to, to decide the final seed or, or multiple seeds to, to make it in each conference and then a weird abbreviated playoff. But I think, you know, the sequestered aspect of it is one of the solutions that could make it happen faster. And I think, you know, in, in every one of these sports pause situations where there's so much money on the line every day that you don't play games, the natural impatience is going to be a big factor of sort of like, when can we get this going? How can we get this going? Yeah, it's interesting that you know nobody has actually been able to start up yet. There's been talk about it both here and in China, um, in South Korea, in Japan, but it's not, it still hasn't. I think the first league to do it will be really stepping out on a limb, and that's got to be scary. I mean, one positive test that would come back would really set all sports back again right yeah and there and there also is this fear of a second wave and in china in particular but china's also several months i mean they canceled their season or or postponed their season in january so they're two months ahead and they're still struggling i mean now i think the chinese basketball league is is targeting may 1st where it was originally april and then april 15th and it's it hasn't been easy for them and that's a country where at least the spread of cases is has been flattened. Whereas we, you know, I, I think it's really hard to make these, you know, decisions and also to even, you know, consider some of these decisions when we still see this growing, especially in some, certain parts of the country where it's it's beginning to surge. They're going to have to probably cancel the season. That's what my gut says. I, I just don't see how it's going to happen with all these complications. But they're certainly not going to do it with fans in the arena. I'm pretty sure about that, which makes me think if you're going to do that and there's no home court advantage anyway, then then why not play it all in one location just for logistics seems to make the most sense. Yeah, I think the real problem here and not just for the NBA, 
for everybody. The real problem is that you can be uh, you can be a carrier of this virus and not show any symptoms. Would they be testing people every day? I mean, how how would that? I, I don't know. It seems like a more difficult thing to do because of the nature of this specific virus. Well, there are tests. They're working on tests that are quicker. Um, the tests that, you know, I think we saw early on. And that's also where the isolation aspect and sort of the making sure that you don't have contact with potentially even like your families, you know, if you're going to this um, isolated compound of basketball players or something, you know, and, and everyone has to go into like a mandatory 14 day quarantine before the season even starts. I mean, that's kind of what they're talking about doing in China. Also is, you know, they've recalled American players or, you know, players from outside China to come back and then had them enter quarantine for 14 days to kind of monitor and make sure that they were not uh, symptomatic. And then, you know, I'm assuming they would also test at that point. And that's a lot to ask. I mean, these players have they have lives outside of basketball. Do and they? So you really. <laughs> yes. As we see now, they, they're, they're trying to figure out what that what that looks like on their on their mini Instagram accounts. They seem they seem bored. Um, they do seem bored. <laughs> they seem very bored. Um, so I think it, a lot of players would you know, there's there will be a segment of players that would welcome this ha- have like uh, if, if you're a team outside of the top tier and you like say you're not on Milwaukee, you're not on the Lakers or Clippers, you know, these teams that have like home court for all or most of the playoffs, then, you know, you would probably welcome this, this playoff system. Uh, and we'll get into sort of the pros and cons of what has been proposed, but like no home court, that sounds pretty good. If you're like an eight seed and trying to play against like the one seed or something like that, you know? Well, so Neil, you did look into this, um, what the, what the structure of, a playoff system could look like. Um, tell us more about that. Sure. So uh, I took the sort of two pieces of hypothetical um, information that had been reported last week. One was about how they would handle the teams that were on the cusp of the playoffs. And I think it came from an interview with LeBron James where he was kind of thinking about the ways that that could play out. And he uh, proposed a four-team playoff to kind of get to the eight seed. So you would take current seed numbers 8, 9, 10, and 11, have them play each other in a, a two best-of-three series, so sort of like a semifinal and then a final for that eight seed. And then once you got into that, the first round of the playoffs would be best-of-five. Then the second and third rounds would be one and done. And this is something the league has actually said. This isn't just from some kind of, you know, loose talk with LeBron uh, type of thing. And so then, yeah, single elimination. That's the name of LeBron's podcast, right? Loose talk with LeBron. It should be. Single elimination for rounds two and three, and then best of five for the final. So I I looked at that and simulated that 5,000 times and also simulated the regular normal playoff system. And this was using our ELO ratings, um, somewhat similar to what we did with the, the NCAA simulation. And so... I found that in terms of having a stronger champion, the shortened season would give us a weaker champ, basically, on average. By a not insignificant margin, about 12 points of ELO rating on average, um, and the chance that the best team wins if we did the regular 
playoff system, it'd be 44% uh, chance that the team that won would be the true most talented team. With the shortened playoff system, it would be 37%. That changes things a little, right? I mean, it changes how we look at, obviously, we're not going to look at the season the same way as that we would have. Is that, does that make it a little worse to not know who would have really won the championship? I don't know. Does it matter? I'm not really sure. As a fan, I feel like there are like trade-offs there. I want to see basketball, but like sucks that it's not the same. It, it just, we wouldn't get the same champion that we normally would have. Well, I think, you know, this, this happened in baseball and you can ask Montreal Expo fans about their, <laughs> their season that was um, uh, cut short and they, and, and left a lot of woulda, coulda, shouldas um, about what would have happened when they, when they lost their you know season. Obviously it was their best team that strike year. But frankly, about the NBA playoffs, you go back and look at it. You go, you have to go all the way back to 1999 when the eight seed Knicks made the finals, which is still remarkable. And they obviously got beat pretty bad by the Spurs. And then prior to that, the six seed Rockets won the championship in, in that sort of second year on the uh, Michael Jordan hiatus. Besides for that, no seed higher than fours ever made the finals so part of me is like why not just with all due respect to the pelicans and all the teams trying to make the playoffs why don't we just sort of cut off the bottom half of each conference and start from there yeah i don't hate that either i mean i think that the only problem there is you would get a lot of teams that would complain about it, especially in this season of all seasons. We, we had already written about this earlier in the year, how this was like an unusually wide open season. I mean, if you cut off the top seeds, you would be missing, and, and maybe they should be missing based on you know their inconsistent play during the season, but you'd be missing Philly, you'd be missing OKC, you'd be missing Houston. I, you would be missing basically... You know, a lot of interesting teams, at least, that were uh, played the regular season. And we can also, again, take issue with their approach to the regular season. But they played the regular season under the assumption, like every team does now more than ever, that you sort of take it easy during the regular season. Maybe you show up for a few big games, but you pace yourself. And then when the playoffs start, that's when you really start to kind of peak and, and play play your best. I'm not saying that that would have been the case for the Rockets and the Sixers because they each have flaws that probably would have prevented them from potentially making a deep run into the playoffs, but we don't know. I guess that's the point, is you would be pulling the rug out from under teams that operated under this one assumption of how the basketball season works and then now totally flip that on its head. Understandably, because of world events, you know, things happen, but at the same time, it would be a little unfair, I guess. That would be the pushback, at least. Well, it, it's kind of a catch-22, because if you think about it, part of the reason historically that these top seeds make it to the finals is because of home court advantage. So a lack of home court advantage is going to inherently favor the lower seeds. Playing a season, uh, playing a full 16-team playoffs with no home court advantage might unfairly benefit those teams. So if you're not going to have it, you can bake that in by just allowing the top seeds to play with no home court advantage. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I like that bake in the, uh, you know, try to try to bake in, the bake in the lock not of parody. Them play. 
Right, you yeah. wouldn't have made it this far. Let's be honest. But uh, you're right here. You're right. Oklahoma City. You're right. There is no, obviously, no perfect solution to this. And and frankly, the logistics of the the quarantine and the single site ideas are are problematic as well. Yeah, there's no good option. I do like the idea that the league office is like, see. Don't don't. This is should be the end of load management. Like you yeah. never know what might happen. <laughs> you oh well, seen this that is a, a, a case that people are making. I heard um, on uh, I think it was Ryan Russillo on the Bill Simmons podcast that basically be like, let's not hear anything about load management again for the next like three years after this. These players are going to be rested. These players are going to, you know, I don't, I don't want to hear any more about them, uh, them taking nights off or whatever. That's really funny and maybe not the right um, lesson to learn from all of this, but Probably I, I kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> but I do, you know, uh, to talk about that best of five, um, I think to your point, Jeff, that is kind of like, it seemed really weird at a first glance that they would be like, okay, so first round is best of five. So then normally you would start out with like lower numbers of games in the early rounds and then you ramp it up. So it's like, okay, second round must be like maybe best of five, maybe best of seven. It's like, nope, it's single elimination. And so is round three, but then we'll go back to best of five for the finals. But I think that's trying to do the same thing that, that you were kind of talking about, Jeff, which is you, you make the, the early round be sort of more, I guess less randomness driven. And so then you can kind of basically knock out those lower seeds unless they have like a great upset. I mean, in some ways it would fill the void of March madness and yeah. combine it with the NBA to just do what, what about just a 16 team single elimination single. tournament banging out? I mean, that would be awesome. You're Why telling me that would be. And then look, then historically you put an asterisk on it. You, you maybe forget that, oh yeah, that was that weird coronavirus single elimination title. And then, you know, people will forget about it. They'll still be the champions. I say, I say they should still have a 64 team single elimination. So you take the 30 NBA teams and then however many G League teams there are. <laughs> oh, it's all the G League teams like, in. <laughs> the Continental Basketball Association. Is that a thing still? Just put them in a 64 team bracket. <laughs> Well, that's a that's a great segue to uh, my next question, which is about the big three. So the big three is planning a quarantined season that would also have this Big Brother reality show component to it. So they take sixteen to twenty two players and quarantine them in a house or in like this kind of complex. And they'd live together and have that all filmed and then also play games within that same complex. Is that anything? Is that a good idea even? I'm not, I'm honestly not sure if that's a good idea. I'll be honest. This nation right now, while they're sitting at home, is desperate for sports. I think this MB, this NFL draft that's coming up will be the most scrutinized NFL draft <laughs> in history. Um, because it will be the, right. It will be the only thing um, that's the only thing that, you know, from the whole spring sports calendar that has remained intact just because of what it is. It's the only thing you can do. So if if, if a league like this, you know, a, a sort of upstart, um, if they can figure it out and, and figure out a way to make it work, especially if, if the other leagues aren't going on, it, it could be, a, ironically, a great opportunity yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I feel like, first of all, the aspect of it being a smaller league, you know, you're not talking about the whole NBA, you're talking about, I think, 16 players. Is that the proposed number? 
that's a lot easier to keep track of and and try to kind of make sure that they're quarantined and and uh, virus free. And you can manage that environment to be a closed system more. And the fact that I guess you're making a reality show out of it, it kind of pays for itself uh, if enough people watch it. And I do think people will watch it just out of sheer, like you were saying, Jeff, desperation for sports. Which current NBA players would be most interesting to have a reality show of them locked in a house together and playing together, you know, real world, big brother style? I mean, I would love to see like Kawhi and like anybody. I think he would be, he's like a very archetypical uh, reality show guy. He would be the one that would, that would sort of say like, you know, very quietly, like, I'm not here to make friends. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like the one who had the tagline, like things got real or whatever. (laughs) What about you, Jeff? Who who would you want to see? I want to see Harden. I think that, I think he has the most entertainment potential especially with um if it's him and westbrook i guess would be would be part of this uh hypothetical rockets team yeah i would need chris paul to also be there so there can be this like sure you know tyson chandler maybe you know throw him in also he's a funny guy Giannis. after those comments that harden made about him yeah actually if we have James Harden and Chris Paul. Then we need the um, the State Farm, the guy from the State Farm commercials. The Oscar, be there too. yeah, Oscar, <laughs> to to uh, to you know get them get them to to mend the fences. There, I think that would be just. And this is all obviously all sponsored by State Farm. Oh, that's a great tie-in. Great idea, right? Sarah. Yeah, I'm just thinking for them. You're welcome, State Farm. All right, let's leave that there. <laughs> Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about why the NCAA is wiping 2020 off the books. The Division I Council of the NCAA voted on Monday to extend eligibility for all spring athletes, which means that not only seniors, but all participants in those sports will get the chance to do the year over again. The scope of the NCAA's decision is going to impact college sports for years, and it took a number of coaches and administrators by surprise, including Maryland lacrosse coach John Tillman, who had this to say about the vote on SportsCenter last night. I think everybody was a little surprised. Um, I think, you know, being an equivalency sport and, and realizing that, you know, there are, are other sports that generate a whole lot more revenue, um, you know, we, we, we were, you know, we certainly had enough time to kind of look at the financial implications and the expenses and everything involved. You know, if every student athlete came back, that was a spring sport athlete. Um, and, and we've gotten some of those numbers and, and they're significant. Certainly the easiest thing to do would have been just to say, Hey, you know, we just can't do it. Jeff, was this the right move for the NCAA? Yeah, I think it was the right move. If you're a baseball, I guess. So the the sports really affected here: baseball, lacrosse, golf, tennis, softball, the volleyballs, that kind of thing. Track and field, water polo, Jeff. Water polo, of course, water polo, which is huge here in California. It's California's lacrosse, Neil. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I think it's the right move. They put so many hours, so much work into it until their senior year. And to just deprive them of that senior year is pretty harsh. I do think it's one of these, it's kind of a Pandora's box. It's going to make a lot of tough decisions for these coaches because they obviously only have that much amount of scholarship money. 
And I think there will be a lot of seniors who will be kind of nudged to not come back, which will be awkward. So essentially, uh, there's a lot of coaches who are going to have a lot of awkward conversations now. I mean, obviously, star players are the ones that really probably would be most upset about losing their senior year. And I think the star players, you know, the team leaders will get that those won't be tough decisions, so they'll get a chance. I think it's the it's the sort of role-playing bench senior that is now going to be kind of gently nudged to not come back and use that so that the team can use that scholarship. And then the other thing is that's interesting that'll be complicated is the transfers. I think there'll be a lot of transfers. It'll be a little bit of a swap meet for some of these teams that might not have a chance to get a high-quality senior from a top elite team that might not have a place on his or her team will now have a place on you know a smaller team or a less of a known power in in the in that sport and we should say that schools can exceed like the the number of scholarships uh in terms of the limit of of people to cover returning seniors while still getting you know freshmen in but in terms of financial aid it was kind of left up to each school about how much they could cover scholarship wise. And so that might be the limiting factor more than just the numbers game uh, is they might ask basically returning seniors to be like walk ons effectively for their senior year where it's like, yeah, we technically have a spot for you, but at the same time, we can't really pay your way for this, uh, you know, red shirt year or whatever we're calling it in some ways, because it was the spring sports and not the winter ones. The people won't be exploiting it as much because these are not like basketball and and some of the sports where you see a lot of shenanigans of of teams trying to skirt the the NCAA rules to to their advantage. Instead, I think it's just going to be sort of a mostly sad story for for players that get caught up in this numbers game and and don't get to finish their careers or have to kind of incur financial hardship to try to you know play out their last season. Yeah, it seems like this might this rule might might help those students who don't need financial help from from their teams. But on the other hand, like a lot of these sports, you were already you you weren't necessarily getting a full scholarship. You were getting like a quarter or a half scholarship anyway. So there might be wiggle room there where you could still play because you love the game, you just you do you know you just want to play. It will be. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that dynamic plays out over the next several years. There's going to be less money to go around anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, we had talked about this. I think in a previous show that the NCAA makes, I think, seventy-five to eighty percent of all of its income for the entire year from the men's and women's basketball tournaments. You know, now that that money is gone, we've already seen less money allocated by like a huge amount in terms of the the budget looking ahead. They, they released how much money the NCAA was kind of going to give each school. And it was like less than half of what they had kind of been used to getting. I think that on top of everything else is going to sort of have another ripple effect on this it's just a really tough situation where there's not really a great answer like if they had said well the the month of baseball that you played that counts as your senior year and it burns your eligibility sorry you're done there would have been people who were really upset about that too yeah and you can definitely see where like if you were about to graduate this spring and you have a job lined up in something other than water polo or whatever you're probably just gonna do that right graduate and go start your life and um so it, it seems like there could be many students for whom this doesn't really matter 
um, and they don't decide to take it. But you can definitely see where some might, too. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, why did the NCAA take so long to make this decision was sort of my question, Neil. I don't really know. I mean, I think that uh, the NCAA, as as we've seen with some of these other bureaucratic organizations, it's like trying to steer the Titanic. You know, it, it takes a long time to be able to come to any kind of consensus. And they didn't really even come to, like, they kind of came to a consensus, but a lot of it was also this stance of, uh, the individual schools should just figure out how to deal with this for themselves. Uh, so they sort of abdicated the responsibility and maybe rightly, you know, different programs have and different sports and different schools have have different, um, you know, needs and, and ways that they would approach it. But, yeah, I think it's just sort of symptomatic of the NCAA in general that, you know, they, they try to kind of hold off on making any kind of decision as long as they can. I think it has to do with this kind of broken economics of the NCAA, as you mentioned, where, you know, men's basketball and, and college football are, are sort of bankrolling all the other sports. USA Today said that the, just losing the tournament could cost the average athletic department five hundred dollars to $900,000 each, which is a considerable amount of financial aid. So there's a lot of money factors here, which I think probably delayed the decision. And it, it's pretty clear that the economic factors haven't fully been digested by the NCAA, and it's going to come down to a school-by-school -school basis. And football doesn't, you know, football, it famously, the NCAA doesn't award a Division One football championship. The college football playoff is actually its own separate corporation, you know, that makes money off of these ESPN deals and everything. Uh, and some of that goes to the schools, but as we've talked about, it's like a very small group of schools that really can kind of make money off of college football. For most schools, college football is a money loser. And, and we've seen some, some Division One A programs shutter their football programs to just because they didn't have the money for it uh or or they if they persisted in it they would take losses just to say that they had football so really it, it, the loss of the basketball tournament has, has compounded things so much because that was the one high profile event that the NCAA actually runs and kind of collects the revenue directly off of um they they don't even get to say they can do that with football so the NCAA has said that schools have the ability to use the the NCAA's student assistant fund to pay for scholarships for students who who take advantage of the ex, uh, the additional eligibility. Typically the the student assistance fund is there to provide a backstop for athletes who have a significant need that they can't afford to be in school. So it's unclear how all of that will work out um, and probably details of all of that will continue to be worked out over the next several months. But why but but Sarah just curious like why couldn't you you talked about some of these seniors having lined up jobs. I wonder if there's a scenario where people are sort of working their first job out of college and still playing their senior year at their, you know, respective sport. Why not? Well, I would imagine that the training schedules are such that that would be pretty hard, right? Yeah, these are basically full-time jobs, you yeah. know. No, it's true. But <laughs> but but maybe there's some wiggle room in there. If you, if you can get <laughs> if you can get some sort of uh alternate source of income to at least pay the rent. 
No, I, I do love that. And if uh, listeners, if any of you are student athletes who are considering keeping your eligibility while also working a full-time job, please contact me and, and I would love to talk to you. That they also, you know, it's a full-time job in the training, but they're also in theory, this doesn't apply to obviously certain programs at the elite level going to class. So right. they'll have all that time. Sure. I mean... Sure, class. Sure, why not? <laughs> well, and that's an interesting thing, too. If you had enough, if you were graduating, could you stay with your team and just, like, not go to class? Would you have to start another an undergraduate program or a graduate program? Would you have to go to, to class? That's the real thing. Look, I went to Michigan, and the <laughs> athletes going, class to, optional for going to class is... <laughs> That's not really a thing. We also talked about this on a previous episode, that Joe Burrow had, like, never been to campus. Remember that? <laughs> right. <laughs> Remember He's that story? Distance learning <laughs> student. Yeah. I do. I love that. That was actually wonderful. <laughs> but he had gotten his... Um, so this really doesn't apply to winter sports. It doesn't look like there's going to be any extra eligibility eligibility extended to you know, basketball players. Um, is that fair? Do you guys think that was fair? Uh, I don't know how fair it is, but I think that if they opened up that can of worms, it would have been way more chaotic because then we're talking about basketball players, players who could potentially, you know, have already declared for the draft. They've already hired agents. You know, I just feel like it, like I said earlier, it would have also opened up so many weird loopholes for some of these corrupt programs to find uh, transfers and you know all of this that still have eligibility so I, I just feel like they looked at it and they were like okay water polo it's not really going to present that much of a problem if we sort of call for a redo but like basketball maybe it would uh be wise to just say and their season was basically over i know the tournament you know people missed out on a chance to to play in that but for the most part they played like 95 percent of of their their season yeah i think that's the key thing there right those players those athletes all got to have their full seasons it's not like they're you know the baseball had just started they hadn't even really gotten into conference play same thing with lacrosse was very new in the season their seasons really were wiped out whereas the winter sports were just in the the championship phase so it does seem fair i think it seems fair but i think they're probably the the biggest casualties here because you know even to play in that full season, to lose the, not only to lose the NCAA tournament, but to lose the conference tournaments, which is really, now we're talking about way more teams that will have this sort of last postseason um, of their senior years. They're, they're not happy about that. That's a bummer. And that affects a lot of players beyond this small elite group that will be going on to the NBA and, and pro basketball. All right, I think that's a good place to leave this discussion. Let's take a break, and then we'll be back with our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, take it away. So while most of the, the sports world is on an indefinite hiatus, uh, Nine-year NASCAR veteran Timmy Hill edged out Ryan Priest down the final straightaway to win on Sunday at the Texas Motor Speedway before an audience of roughly a million viewers across the world. <laughs> How? 
you might ask. We're, we're in lockdown. We're not having events like that. Well, it happened through the power of a driving simulator called iRacing, which normally helps professional drivers and amateur enthusiasts practice from the comfort of their own home. But now in today's social distancing reality, it's also provided desperate sports fans with really an injection of live sports, a rarity in, in today's world. Shortly after the real NASCAR season was put on hold, the sport organized what it calls the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series. <laughs> Try saying that five times fast. Uh, which will stage virtual races at the same Cup Series tracks that they would have been driving on in reality, featuring most of the same drivers, in the, complete with their familiar numbers and paint schemes. The initial race was last weekend, uh, and it started with veteran NASCAR announcer Mike Joy sitting a safe distance from his broadcast partner, Jeff Gordon, in a North Carolina studio. Uh, and there was a little bit of a hint of amusement over the fact that these star drivers would be racing each other in a video game. But the drivers themselves actually took it seriously. The winner of the first race, Denny Hamlin, reportedly paid $40,000 for his iRacing rig in his home. And the fans took it seriously, too. So they estimated that 903,000 viewers tuned in to watch on Fox Sports 1, making it the highest-rated eSports telecast in history. <laughs> I think the old record was like maybe 600,000 viewers. Wow. So when Hill won over a field of a lot bigger names on Sunday, he said it was one of the most important victories of his career. Now, in fairness, he's never won in the real-life Cup Series in 96 races, uh, but this apparently was his 674th career win in iRacing. <laughs> he's, he's actually kind of a ringer when it comes to uh, the, the virtual racing. Uh, wow. But Fox Sports committed to airing the remainder of the iRacing Pro season, presumably as long as the real-life races are put on hold because of the coronavirus, and now... Other racing series are getting in on this, too. So IndyCar started a six-race iRacing challenge this past weekend, and Jimmy Johnson actually raced in both the NASCAR race and the IndyCar race. He wants to get into IndyCar potentially after retiring uh, real-life IndyCar, not not virtual IndyCar. But now he's doing virtual IndyCar, presumably to practice for real-life IndyCar. So in, in this new world, we'll take any sports we can get. We talked about it earlier in the show, but I wanted to open up the conversation. What do you guys think about the idea of real athletes participating in virtual competitions as themselves, as their own avatars? Is this really only suited to a sport like racing that you can kind of simulate at a high level from someone's home? Or will we ever see real NBA players playing as themselves in NBA 2K20? And most importantly, Will Sarah actually sit down and watch a virtual sporting event uh, anytime soon? And will Jeff bet on one? <laughs> That's a good question. Jeff, would you ever place a bet on 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 a virtual sporting event? Uh, no, but I will say they did run the Florida Derby, one of uh, one of horse racing's premier uh, Kentucky Derby prep races. So. There is some horse racing going on, and I, I will Wait. bet on that. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the? I wanted to know the connection there between will you bet on something and the Florida Derby happened. Uh, I was you just bet saying on that the there, Derby. there are other things. <laughs> there are other things that could scratch my betting itch if I wanted to, and I don't have to turn to video game betting, um, which I probably hey, wouldn't. The Action do. Network is actually <sighs> handicapping these NASCAR video game races so there are people betting on this but i will say it is i think unique to motorsports in which you are inherently operating a machine 
that why not in 2020 could you operate a different type of machine? Yeah, I think it. you're right. I think that kind of there's like something there that makes sense. Although obviously the parts of racing that are integral to it, you're not doing. I mean, there's no your you know your pit crew it doesn't really matter right i assume um the stuff like that well they can not... fix your car when you wreck your car they let you fix it um and there's some kind of time penalty or something but um you you get i think like one or two full uh like full rebuild for your car if you wreck it uh, in the middle of the race why so nice i don't Wait, know i think they should try what? to simulate the real race <laughs> I, I don't agree with that i think if you wreck it if you wreck it you're out like right. you would be out on a race. That, that, you know, uh, you should get in touch with the people uh, <laughs> managing the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational. <laughs> um, as to your question for me, Neil, while I sit down and watch a virtual sporting event, I don't know. I just maybe. So the NBA is thinking about um, a players only NBA 2K tournament that would start on Friday if it goes through and would go over like 10 days and include 16 players. I don't think they'd be playing as themselves, which would I agree would make it more fun. And I'm thinking like, would I watch that just to watch something just to have some connection to those players? And I don't know. Well, that's the question is, you know, if uh, if the players are not elite at NBA 2K, uh, then do we want to see the actual elite like video gamers play NBA 2K or do we want do we still want to see players play as themselves, even if they themselves are not very good and would lose to the to the pro NBA 2K players? So the Yahoo News story that I'm looking at that's talking about this says that this tournament will feature the league's sharpest video gamers. So there you have it. I don't know exactly how that's quantified in any way. I can't imagine that it is. They know their way around a controller. Maybe they even have like an ELO rating in um, in NBA 2K online. Oh, no. I smell a story. <laughs> oh, no. What have I walked into? I, I will say there's obviously a huge market out there, one that I'm prob- obviously way too old for, of people liking to watch. So eSports is going to come out great regardless. I just don't... I. I, I don't think they're ever going to get another part of the sports-watching fan base, namely anyone 35 and up. Well, and that's why it was so surprising to me that so many people watch this NASCAR race is that, you know, they, they don't have the youngest audience. They, uh, they, they skew kind of older, and their audience numbers have been dwindling over the years um, since about the mid-2000s. And so... It was kind of surprising that there were enough people that were willing to kind of sit down and watch it. Now, when you do watch it, I mean, based on the camera angles and everything, it it, it does look like you're watching a real race. And in fact, there's a lot more interactivity with the drivers, like they'll interview them in the middle of the race uh, and and talk, talk to them about like what they were seeing. You can hear them talk to their spotters in a way, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be able to in, in a real race. So... I don't know. It seemed like it was actually a little bit more accessible and more fun and didn't take itself so seriously. Um, And that was also uh, one of the ingredients for why people got into it. Is it the same skill set? I mean, is it a simulator to the degree? Like, you know, there's flight simulators and stuff like that where essentially it it exactly um, mimics the real flying or driving experience. Some of the guys, like the guy that spent $40,000 on his rig, 
does take it really seriously and is actually really good. And and Timmy Hill, it's interesting because, again, he's never won an actual NASCAR race, but he's competed in almost 100 races, but usually with lower-grade teams and, and without the sort of car and engine and pit crew and all the things that, you know, great racers need to to win a championship so in a weird way it's almost like a, a a playing field leveler where you have guys i think it in the particular case of timmy hill show that if they were in a world where they got the the top support you know from their teams they could potentially make noise in the real racing scene so in that sense i mean and and it is like a flight simulator in the way that you know the the aerodynamic effects and the tire wear and all of these things you have to pay attention to it and they talk about it a lot on the broadcast of you know he really needs to watch out for the uh, the inside you know tire that uh, he's, he's putting too much wear on it right now and it also varies how much they they uh, took it seriously. Like I saw one of the guys, uh, one of the real racers competing in this. He didn't log in all week until like forty five minutes before the race, and he had a setup with like just a normal computer monitor and like a mouse. Oh, you know, he like didn't okay. even have like a. He was that, like using his like keyboard or his something. Mouse. So <laughs> it varies greatly depending on the driver, you know, the amount of, of effort that they're putting into it. Um, but, you know, for the top level ones, they have simulators that like they'll sit in a chair like they're in a cockpit of a car and they'll have monitors around them that sort of each broadcast to make it look like they're inside of a, a actual car. And then the thing will shake and kind of pitch on its side a little bit like, you know, if you've ever done like the space shuttle landing simulators or whatever at like space camp that's where the forty thousand dollar rig comes in so i think it's it, it is as realistic as you kind of want to make it. it it sounds like they should all have those rigs i mean they gotta fully commit to this you can't have guys logging <laughs> in and using their mouse and another guy's in a you know fancy rig i mean this doesn't seem well, right we're two weeks into this <laughs> you know i would have, i would imagine the more the more of these that go on the more guys are going to actually invest in real equipment it's also an interesting psychological experiment when you remove the inherent danger of race car driving does that change who's better at it i mean that that's interesting to me yeah, that's a great question. And there was a comical moment in the race on Sunday where a guy tried to wreck one of his uh, rivals out of spite and just completely whiffed on it and hit the wall and then, <laughs> you know, sort of crashed himself out of the race. And that's something that, like, it's a troll move that no one would ever do in real life for a million different reasons. Um, but you, you saw it happen a little bit. It's like a classic video game trope almost in, in this race. There was so. also the time where the guy was leading, but then he lost his Wi-Fi and just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there are complications. <laughs> I do. I wanted to go back to one thing you said, Neil, about just how surprising it was how many people tuned in, because I do think that in that kind of situation where you can have a sort of connection with real drivers, um, you know, the people that you follow week to week and you can see them doing it and the interviews during the race and that kind of thing make it feel a little more real and also like you know, reestablishes that connection that you normally feel with, with drivers. So, you know, if I want to, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm an NBA fan, if I'm a, 
and I want to see Donovan Mitchell is one of the guys who's going to maybe play in this tournament. If I want to see him play video games instead of just going to his Instagram and I can see it on ESPN instead. I mean, that would give me a little bit more of a connection to the players I follow and the, you know, the sport I follow. So I, I understand that why people might want to tune in. I would also just take, you know, talking to those guys. I don't really need to see them play video games, but that's just me. <laughs> Sorry. I want to like it. I do. No, I don't. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please review and rate us on your podcast app of choice. It really does help other people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.